I don't know how many Princess Bride fans we have out there, uh, but we're talking about love today, and as I was preparing, I couldn't help but think of the priest at the wedding scene in that movie describing marriage and love, true love. Um, so now that will be stuck in your minds the rest of the sermon. But how many of you have been to a wedding recently and the scripture uh, verses read or used in the homily sounded something like this? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It is not self-seeking. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. These, are, these verses are very common for weddings and with good reason. They are some of the most elegant, lyrical verses in the Bible. Naturally, they would have a universal appeal. What what great words to build a marriage on. What great foundation for how we want everyone to interact. We're going to look at these verses today along with the context of the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, sometimes known as the love chapter in the Bible. And while these words can clearly have meaning in and of themselves, I think we sometimes miss the meaning and force of them if we remove them from their context. For starters, you may be surprised to learn that these words were not penned to describe the love between spouses. Rather, they were written to describe the love God's people are to have for one another. Churches or communities of God's people are to be known for their love. Last week, we started our series for the entire month of January called Practice Not Perfect, where we're looking at four practices of the early church from 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 16, including serving, loving, worshiping, and giving. These are practices God has given his followers in order to accomplish our mission. When the resurrected Jesus left this earth to return to heaven and to be seated at the right hand of the Father, he gave his followers the Holy Spirit and said, you will be my witnesses. We are to continue Jesus' work on this earth as it is in heaven. We are to be Jesus' hands and feet until he returns. We're to be lights in a dark world. We're to witness to those around us who may be confused or lost or longing for hope and meaning and purpose. That is the reason we exist. Ephesians 3.10 put it like this. He, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. There is no plan B. And frankly, this seems crazy to us at times because we are not always an accurate representation of the manifold wisdom of God. The church is not perfect. I'm speaking here of the church throughout history as well as the church present, both global and local. No church is perfect because the church is people, you and me, and we clearly fall short of how God wants us to live. And yet God has still set it up this way. So while we won't do it perfectly, we are going to try. We are going to be faithful to what he's given us to do. We will practice even though it won't be perfect. Last week, when we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in the practice of serving, we saw how each follower of Jesus has been given a spiritual gift, a supernatural talent or ability to be used to build up the community. The Apostle Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 
And in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. If you consider City Church your church home and you still don't know what your part is, I want to encourage you to stop by our practice room in the comments and talk with someone. Because if you're not doing your part, we're missing out on it, and we're feeling it. Now today, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul is going to build on that message. And in order for this chapter to make more sense, I need to give you a little background of what was going on in the church Paul was writing to in the first century. The church in Corinth thought of themselves as very spiritual. And by that I mean they had a lot of external signs of being religious or spiritual. Many of them could speak in tongues, which sounds super weird to us, but essentially it was just a way of praying or speaking that was in a completely different language, not a language known at the time. They were ascetics, saying husbands and wives should not be sexually active so they could spend more time being spiritual and praying. By the way, Paul was not supportive of this idea. We would, we would look at the church in Corinth like we do people who spend an hour each morning in prayer or go to church like four times a week and are really religious or spiritual. But below the surface, they weren't actually all that spiritual. There were fights, quarrels, divisions between them. The church was rampant in all kinds of immorality, including sexual immorality, they weren't functioning together as a whole well. And one of the specific ways this manifested itself was how they gathered together in their services, how they worshiped. We'll get to more of this next week when we talk about the practice of worship. But for now, let me just say that some in the church thought of the worship service as a time to show off. Look at me. See how spiritual I am. Look what I can do. Paul gets really mad about this, partly because it's causing division in their community and partly because it's hurting their witness when they gather. So he reminds them first that everyone's contribution is important, chapter 12, and also in this chapter that there is something even more important than what we each contribute, and it is love. Listen to what Paul says about the importance of love. You can find the passage on page 1746 in the Pew Bible, uh, or the words will also be on the screen. The chapter can be broken up into three parts, the necessity of love, verses 1 to 3, the characteristics of love, verses 4 to 7, and the permanence of love, verses 8 to 13. We're going to walk through each of these verses, and with each section, we're going to ask what this might mean for us, okay? Let's start with the necessity of love. Look at how Paul concludes uh, chapter 12. You have to look back a little bit. After he lists all these variety of gifts and how each one is important, and there's no room for inferiority, and there's no room for superiority with them, he concludes with chapter 12, verse 31. Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts, yet I will show you the most excellent way. This is the way for you Mandalorian fans. He's saying, as great as those gifts are, there is something more important than those gifts, something that will greatly affect how those gifts are deployed and utilized in your community. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, 
And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor or give my body over to hardship that I might boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Notice how Paul starts with the jugular here for what the Corinthians are most proud of, their ability to speak in amazing languages. And what does he say? I can offer that gift, but if I am not a person who is genuinely loving, it doesn't matter. In fact, Paul gives three hypothetical examples of various gifts that both he and the Corinthians greatly valued, tongues, prophecy, and faith. And in addition, one example of serious religious zeal, martyrdom. What could be more sacrificial than that? But Paul says, even if I do those things, spectacular, amazing, even sacrificial things, and I'm not loving those around me, I really haven't given anything. Because what God wants most is love. The gifts we have been given are just a way of expressing love. If we ever find ourselves not loving in how we're serving, we need to change course. I've asked Mark to illustrate this for us. Mark is one of our musicians. Uh, we are thankful for every one of them who volunteers on various Sundays to lead us in worship. I've asked him to play a few measures uh, of music as a drummer. You should note his first two instruments are really piano and cello, so he's just being nice to me. But this is what it sounds like when a person is offering their gift, whatever it is, out of love for the group. But when someone is offering their gift not out of love, this is what it sounds like. It's pretty annoying, pretty irritating, isn't it? Paul says, you may be loud and make a lot of noise, but you aren't communicating anything of value when you do that. Thank you, Mark, for serving us in this way. Years ago, when I was serving in family, as a family ministries pastor at a church in another country, there was a woman who was volunteering as the children's choir director. But she wasn't working well with the other ministries of the church, to put it mildly. She was removing children from their Sunday school classes for extra choir practices without any communication. She was keeping kids and families well-packed past their practice times, conflicting with other commitments and activities going on in the church. And in conversation with her, it became apparent that what mattered most to her was the kids' choir. Not the kids, not the families, not any other ministries in the church. And after a trial period of trying to work with her, the church decided to stop the choir temporarily till it could be done in a way that fit with the larger purposes of the ministry. And somewhat predictably, once this individual was no longer permitted to serve as the choir director, she left the church. See, serving the needs of the children's ministry wasn't what mattered most. What mattered most was her serving in a leadership position that used her musical gifts. Paul says we're not to be that way in the church. We are not in it for ourselves. We have all been given gifts and talents to be used for the common good, yes, but love dictates what we do and how we do it. Maybe this is a good reminder for you today for why you serve in City Kids 
or velocity or leading a growth group or setting up refreshments. You don't do it for the kudos, though we are indeed grateful for you. You do it out of love, love for God, love for others. Maybe today you will choose to do the same thing, to serve in the same way, but with a different attitude or perspective. We want our service to be great rhythms, not clanging cymbals. Love is essential, more essential than gifts. But what is love? Verses 4 to 7 give us some idea. And just as the spiritual gifts list in, verse, in chapter 12 was not exhaustive, these verses aren't intended to be comprehensive either. In fact, the majority of this description of love is specifically targeted to the virtues most neglected by those in Corinth. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Often, we think of love as feelings or affections towards others, whether romantic or purely friendship. When we feel affection or romantic interest, then we love someone. We can't see it as clearly in English, but in the original language here, love is described with 15 verbs, things we do. Love is a verb. We love by doing these things, and then surprisingly often the feelings follow. Let's look just briefly at these verbs. The structure is two positives, love is patient, love is kind, followed by nine negative verbs describing what love isn't, the first five of which are direct aims at what the church in Corinth is struggling with, and then four final verbs to conclude. Love is patient or bears with. Actually, the old King James Version conveys the sense better, I think, in this context when it translates it, love suffereth long, meaning it perseveres in spite of injury. And in fact, one synonym for this verb is used as the concluding phrase in verse 7, love always perseveres. The kind of love God wants for his church to be known for is patient. It puts up with a lot. It hangs in there when it's tough. It does not take the easy way out. Obviously, one could take this to an extreme in an unhealthy way, and I'll say more about that later. But in general, the love we are to have for one another is committed despite imperfection. Love is kind. It's one thing to hang in there. It's another to actively seek the goodness of others while hanging in there. This is the active side of persevering. Incidentally, God himself is described with these two words in Romans 2, 4. He doesn't ask us to do anything he isn't already doing himself. And then Paul lists nine things love is not, the first five of which are taken directly from the Corinthian file of how they are not loving one another. Love does not envy or is not jealous. Paul asks in 1 Corinthians 3, 3, using the adjective form of this verb, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Jealousy is often the result of being more concerned with ourselves than with the group, which leads to the next one. Love does not boast. 
The literal word here is windbag. That's quite a word picture, isn't it? We've all uncomfortably witnessed this at some point. Someone full of themselves. But Paul says it's not possible to boast and love at the same time because in boasting, we want people to think highly of us. And in loving, we are concerned for the community. It is not proud or arrogant. Paul uses this word a lot to describe the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 4, 6, then you will not be puffed up as you are. And and chapter 4, verse 18, some of you have become arrogant. And throughout his letter, Paul is continually asking, who cares what you know if it does not serve to build up the community? Or as he says eloquently in chapter 8, verse 1, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Having both is nice, but if you have to choose, Paul's preference is clear. Love does not dishonor others or is not rude in some translations. It is not self-seeking. In an earlier section of this letter, Paul is addressing another problem in the church, and he concludes that issue with this statement, no one should seek their own good but the good of others. Chapter 10, verse 24. That's real Christian love. One is reminded of Philippians 2, 4, of Jesus' own example to us. In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It is not easily angered or quick to take offense. It keeps no record of wrongs. This phrase is one used in accounting, meaning it doesn't keep tabs. It doesn't hold it against or bear a grudge. One writer uh, I read said, forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is remembering and still forgiving. It does not deny the past. It can only create a new future. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And after those negatives, four final positives, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Someone observed that the first and last of these relate to the present, while the middle two relate to the future. That word protects means bear with, puts up with, covers. As in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Love puts up with a lot of wrong. And it hopes, not in circumstances, but in the ultimate triumph of God, trusting he is sovereign and will bring everything to completion for his purposes. Now I need to pause here, lest any sincere person take this to an unhealthy extreme. I think it would go beyond Paul's intention here to say that a person is always to remain in an unhealthy situation or relationship because love always trusts or always hopes. Cases of abuse, addiction, abandonment, adultery, untreated mental illness, and more are very complicated. And while love is God's desire for us, that is not to be conflated with remaining in a particular situation. Therapists often distinguish between forgiveness and reconciliation. We can forgive, but still choose not to continue in a relationship or setting because it is unhealthy or harmful or because it requires change in another person. If you are dealing with a complicated situation or relationship, I want to encourage you to get professional help. Any one of us on staff would be happy to connect you with a counselor. 
uh, please just reach out to us. But even if you're not facing a particularly difficult person to love, I think most of us, if we're honest, hear this description of love and feel woefully inadequate for how far we fall short of meeting this. That was certainly my response this week. And as I thought about that, I found some encouragement in how Paul addressed this imperfect church at the start of his letter. Listen to this. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. And then he goes on to assure them, he, God, will keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because you're going to do it? Oh, no. God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, is faithful. Earlier this week, I had the opportunity to practice love with a difficult situation. And so I was wrestling this and talking about it with God one morning, and I said, God, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I don't even know what it means to love in this situation. And I felt like God was saying to me, Amy, do you not think I will help you with this? You don't know the way. You aren't capable, but I am. You're asking me to help you love someone. Don't you think that is exactly the kind of prayer I would love to answer? Oh, yeah. I suppose you are invested in this process too, Lord. 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. God is love. We may feel incapable of doing this ourselves, and we are, but God, by his spirit, can show us the way and help us practice this more. Maybe today you simply want to ask God to help you love someone with this kind of love. Just as we believe in trained counselors, we believe in the power of prayer. If you would like prayer today, immediately following the service, either on behalf of yourself one, yourself or a loved one for any reason, or for practicing loving more, come to our prayer point down front. Uh, members of the prayer team would consider it a privilege and exercising of their own gift, in fact, to pray with you. Lastly and briefly, Paul ends by emphasizing the permanence of love in verses 8 to 13. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, oh, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And as a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Church in Corinth, Paul says, here's the deal. You're into gifts, fine. But guess what? Gifts are not a permanent thing. They are temporary. They are transitory, like childhood. We need them now while we wait for Jesus to return to fully establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. But once he does, we aren't going to need the gifts. All will be complete. Gifts will be useless and operative, but not love. In fact, even faith and hope are temporary. One day when Jesus returns, our faith will become sight and our hopes will be realized. 
but love, well, we'll be doing that for eternity. That's the language of heaven. That's what we will do naturally and effortlessly. Love God, love others won't be a purpose statement. It will be a reality. Oh, how we long for that day. So before you elevate the gifts or whatever you do over love, remember that. Love is the higher ethical standard, or let the higher ethical standard of love dictate how you deploy your gifts and how you function together as a community. Now, just before we close, one final application. Maybe you're sitting here today thinking, practice love? I'm not even on the team. I'm not in a position to love others or to be loved others in this community. And obviously, if you're visiting with us, that's certainly understandable. Take the time you need to get to know who we are and to feel comfortable. We are not perfect, but we do hope you will see some of God's love for you while you're here. But if City Church is your church home, I wonder if you're being invited to practice love more, either in serving people here or outside this community, or by connecting into this community of belonging more. John mentioned it, but maybe this will be the season where you say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to join a growth group. It's twice a month. We run them on a semester. It's six or eight times you're committing to. Again, come to the practice room. We are here to help however we can because we can all practice loving. We can all get better at this. City Church, as we seek to be God's church in Minneapolis, his hands and feet, let us love one another both those within this community and those without, with the same selfless love God has shown us. When we love like this, we are simply following in his footsteps, for this is indeed how God has loved us. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Let's pray. Oh God, we are thankful first for your love. It precedes ours. It surpasses ours. And it is with us always. We cannot outrun it. Bless you. Thank you for that. We pray that each one of us would be reminded of that today first, that we are loved by you. And then, Lord, would you forgive us? You know better than anyone all the imperfections, all the ways in which we are not what this verse says, what we long to be individually and corporately. Would your spirit now move in us, recreate us, make us more like your son Jesus, full of grace and truth, that we may love one another and that those watching would see you are real and you are good. We pray this in Jesus' name and always for the greater fame of his name. Amen.